If you want to get stuff done, then you have come to the right place. This is the Get Stuff Done podcast, brought to you in association with RDI Worldwide, a weekly interview series with prominent and diverse people from around the world who will share their own unique insights on what it takes to get stuff done and their personal strategies for doing so. My name is Gordon Dudley, the creator of the Get Stuff Done project and host of this podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. We hope you enjoy this episode and would love to hear your feedback anytime. Let's get stuff done. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Get Stuff Done podcast. My name is Gordon Dudley, your host, and I want to take this opportunity to say a big thank you to everybody who's been listening to the previous episodes. We are now on episode 15, and it's been absolutely great to have people uh, tuning in either by video or by audio more and more each week. I also want to take this brief opportunity to say a big thank you to Kami, who is the producer of this podcast. She does all the work behind the scenes that you can see across all the different channels that the podcast goes out on. So a big thank you uh, to everybody. Next, I should should introduce my uh, guest for this week, and his name is Francis Oh. Uh, He is Uh, a Korean who is based in Hong Kong, and he is the COO and APAC CEO of Craft Technologies. They are a cutting edge artificial intelligence uh, technology, uh, specifically focused on financial institutions. Francis himself has been featured in many other mainstream media channels. He also Uh, has been invited as a guest lecturer at uh, Oxford Said Business School, HKU and HKUST. And uh, previously, before Craft Technologies, he was with other renowned companies such as Vanguard Direction, Miri Asset, uh, among others. He uh, graduated from Korea University with a BBA and also now has an MBA from the University of Hong Kong as well as being a chartered alternative investment analyst. I had the chance to meet him when he was over uh, on a panel in Seoul a few months ago, and it's my great pleasure to have him with us today. Welcome, Francis. Thank you. Thank you, Rodin, for um, giving me the great introduction for the the podcast, uh, listeners. It's my honor to be here. I'm very excited to have uh, another session uh, today together with you. Absolutely. That's that's great to hear. And uh, I think uh, I, I should say that when I met you uh, on a panel, I was very interested in not just your uh, your kind of professional status, but also your personal journey. So I think in the course of uh, today's uh, Get Stuff Done podcast, we can we can kind of delve into that. But tell me first a little bit about uh, your 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 current status and, and the role that you have at Craft Technologies. Sure, I'm happy to. So um, I'm currently taking a role of uh, the CEO of the Craft Technologies, at the same time taking a, another role of the APEC CEO, uh, because I'm based in Hong Kong and our companies are starting from South Korea in 2016. And a few companies that are what I believe is truly expanding to the global uh, from South Korea. So I feel very lucky uh, to be part of this team and the company. Uh, what our companies are doing is they're providing AI-powered investment solutions from the range of the investment signals to the, the customized softwares, at the same time applying that into the, our own proprietary um, the, the investment as well. So uh, our company, uh, throughout around the seven plus years of the journey since the incorporations, one of the notable moments is the 2022 uh, beginning of it. Uh, where we have 146 million of the uh, capital infusion from the SoftBank Group. Um, that was a kind of a, some iconic moment uh, for us to truly transforming ourselves to uh, able to aim to the global journey uh, for the business expansion. So I'm taking part of it, uh, leading the, our the day-to-day business at the same time, engaging together with our researchers, AI engineers to developing um, uh, approachable the investment signal and solution for other financial institutions. Okay, 
Um, I, I think you've 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 really captured that uh, in a nutshell very well, and that really sounds like a, a fantastic development that uh, the company has been on. I should say that all the best companies were founded in 2016, like RDI Worldwide. My company also, I set it up in 2016 in, in Seoul, but uh, um, I yet to have a capital infusion from uh, from SoftBank. So still waiting, still waiting on that one. Um, but, um, you know, you mentioned global in, in, in your answer there, which is a very broad encompassing term. And I think a lot of people are very aspirational to mm. go global, be global. That's both from the company perspective and the personal perspective. Mm. I think you are perhaps a very good example of somebody who who, who really is uh, global. Um, I, you've had quite a long standing connection with Hong Kong. Tell me a little bit about um, your your origin of being based in Hong Kong and, and, and what it's been like for you being based there. Sure. Yeah, more than happy to share. So I think myself is a, a bit more luckier aside of a, um, some some samples. I don't know how to say it well, um, but my first, um, so I'm born and bred from South Korea. So I never studied abroad uh, till the first time I'm located in Hong Kong in 2010. So I've been here the staying for 14 years straight, uh, and the first moment that I have chance to relocating uh, was the when I worked at Mira SM, and there was a, some expansion plan for sending some of the uh, South Korean uh, South Korean based steps to the Hong mm -hmm. Kong office for business expansion. So um, that was a quite a um, interesting moment as well because. Uh, uh, I was in the team of four, and then I know the HL is asking every single person in our team, uh, four of them, and then whether they have a interest in moving over to Hong Kong. Um, mm. And uh, what I back then, what I tell to HL uh, team is the 50-50, uh, I'm not so sure, but that was the strongest <laughs> uh, positive, uh, most positive feedback from among <laughs> that four. So, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so Okay. So I Interesting. kind of, uh, yeah, I was able to grab the chance. Um, and then, and that started my journey of the, um, the staying outside Korea. So that's the reason why I feel myself is a lucky. Um, mm. It was a, it's kind of a slightly different from whether I really planned uh, to moving away, but it was a more like a, a pretty much of a luck factor um, to mm. have a chance to work outside of Korea. But since then, um, I was able to work with a great uh, the the seniors and my bosses um, at the same time, and kind of a inspiration uh, the by the um, the what they thinking, and then the seeing the much more broader the market outside of Korea. And I still remember one of my boss, uh, he his name's Roger Roger Liu, and he told me that uh, my Korean name is Kisa. My English name is Francis, well, my Korean name is And back then, I only used uh, my Korean name, Kisak. Uh, be a global asset, not to the Korean asset. Back then, I didn't understand what that meant. But uh, after years of passing by, I started to realize that via the global assets, uh, or at least having that mindset, it can be, it was very helpful for, for me to continue expanding my journey not only dealing with the Korean client, but at the same time looking into the journey to the other Asian market, plus United States, plus Europe, etc. That, that's that's very interesting. That that um, you 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 weren't necessarily striving to get that opportunity, but once you did, you very much embraced it with with both arms and 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 jumped in. And and you know, it's funnily enough quite as parallel to myself you went to hong kong in 2010 i've been there ever since i came to seoul in 2010 and i've been here ever since um so that, so that's an interesting uh, parallel um and, and, and great Ranger. that um uh, that that things have have developed since then and so um, would you say that um in terms of the the area that you've been in, um, you know, essentially uh, financial markets and, and investments, and then with a, very much the, the tech driven, um, you know, 
part of that coming in. W was this something that was uh, very much kind of intentional for you? I mean, was it something that you were kind of good at, therefore you pursued it? Or was it something that you were just very, very interested in? And it was like you, you kind of you loved it. And so you put it that way. And, and that's allowed you to get there or a combination of both. I think combination of a uh, little both. Um, okay. And so if I just look at myself, I my character is uh, a bit more receptive uh, in terms of the, uh, the how I'm embracing things. So I just want to share a little bit of my background as well. So um, after Mireille and I joined another US asset management company, Directions, who is the providing leverage members um, the ETFs. Uh, and I have changed to moving over to the Vanguard, um, the in charge of South Korean market, um, to the institutional intermediary uh, channels as well. So uh, I pretty much built my career in the asset management company. Uh, typically in financial field, we call that as a the buy side, yeah. buy side clients. Um, and I have a different role of the, the fund manager, the product sales and some little bit of a strategy and the risk management as well. So was able to look into the pretty much every single angle uh, or the corner of the asset management business. Um, and uh, for the moment that I decided to join the craft technologies was the 2019, no, 2020, 2020, the late 2020. And, and that was the the moment that the Vanguard, um, they decide to winding down their entire business uh, in Asia market, uh, regardless of the, um, the its performance uh, was uh, stunning, frankly speaking. Um, but th that decision was made. And um, despite whether I was relatively senior position in the Vanguard, but I wasn't able to have that much information before it happened. So, uh, after the Vanguard, I was looking for a couple of different opportunities, but the primary reason for me to grab this chance to work in the startup company, uh, and back then we didn't have any money from SoftBank Group as well. So literally a very small startup company uh, was the, the couple of points. The first thing is the, I want to take control of my own journey instead of someone is making decision on behalf of me. That was first reasoning. And the second thing is the, I used to be a quant portfolio manager, and then I was able to see how the asset management industries are uh, continuously evolving in a very fast forward speed. At the same time, the uh, less and less room for the only pure human manager or the kind of a there will be a demand. I wasn't so sure before I'm seeing the ChatGPT, which is a one year after I joined this company. Um, but I believe the, the artificial intelligence uh, is changing in the market on our day-to-day -day, uh, life. So it will be also changing uh, to financial industry as well. That was my belief as well. So and the last part is the when I look at this team, the craft technologies, uh, despite we were small back then and also the relatively short uh, history of the business, I do see great talent uh, in the company. So I found it, I'm not an expert in AI, frankly speaking, no. Um, I understand a little bit, but I'm not an AI expert. But at the same time, what I believe is the, uh, there is a definitely the room for me to contribute uh, to this organization by uh, connecting and sharing my own network and the ideas of understanding the financial market, then uh, it will be a uh, kind of a explosive. So those are my thoughts uh, of the, the joining this company in the early part of the, the journey. I mean, that's 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 really interesting, and I'm I'm sure taking control of your journey is something that will resonate with a lot of people, uh, whether they are early in their career or, or middle or, or, or later on, I'm sure that, that that will be something that people can can understand and fully. With all that being said, it's mm. fair to say that that was still a relatively conventional career path, relatively stable and, and you know, well-established kind of organizations into mm. something that was to a certain extent unknown. That, right. of course, uh, you know, at, at any time in uh, someone's career takes a certain amount of courage um, and, and bravery. What is it that you feel uh, was 
the the kind of the defining moment or, or the the key factor that made you confident oh this is definitely something i want to step into uh mm. and and make that jump um i think um before i the giving you that answer the what i'm believing is the um it is not necessary so everyone need to take a um adventurous journey um there's a no right or wrong i mean there are definitely 80 the different the trait or the the relative strengths for working in the established company or the entering into the uh adventurous startup industry so there's no right or wrong it's about whether uh you think that uh you can be willingness to take the risk okay uh, the first part is risk taking at the same time not just risk taking is more about like what you want to do uh by the starting the, the start a company um risk taking people can do uh if the the situation is coming but i think the more important thing is the whether is there something you really want to change or the uh from the conventional things or the traditional things or the there's something you can make it better or the uh or the, you have a great idea and you just cannot sleep uh, without having achieving it so it's about the uh you need to think about it carefully on the what you really want to do uh, by just moving over to start a company i want to be the the higher link because start a company usually give a inflated linking uh, because of a small size organization but then it's kind of a uh, happy in some points but is uh not sustainable from my point of view so uh, i think uh need to think through yourself very objectively of uh is there certain things you really want to change in, uh in the, the current system about society i think that would be the right question uh to be asked uh, to everyone else got it got it no i think i think that's a very well considered uh, answer so so thank you let let me now turn to the questions that i i ask to every guest that comes on the podcast yeah. Yeah. um the first of which is that um you know how is it that you go about on a daily basis getting stuff done you know you know you, yeah. you have um you know a, a, a title of of uh you know apac ceo um yeah. it's it, it's a big it's a big uh, role so for you on a on a kind of daily basis what what is the the way in which you go about making sure that you get everything done that you you need to get done yeah it's a it's kind of about confession <laughs> to the to listen of this podcast i try to be very efficient decision maker uh on get things done on day to day but the reality of me is maybe not the case but anyway the i uh some of the habits i trying to do is the um like the the finding enough time to last your brain at least like the um after 9 p.m. ish pretty much not doing anything uh, so that your brain is uh, able to relax as much as possible because uh, think about the start of life we are living in a messy messy world right we have to handle the multiple things at the same time the multitasking is a very strong word but the multitasking is the really killing your brain so to make a clear decision and judgment i try to relax my brain as much as possible uh, i'm not saying that i'm good at it but i try to do uh, is a thing um, at the same time the another one is the um i'm still in the the journey of the um the learning but trying to delegate um as much as possible i frankly speaking i'm not a good delegator uh i later kind of do things by myself uh is uh, often times is faster for the first cases but i know this is toxic when it goes longer is a uh, kind of a uh, killing my time so i really try to delegate as much as possible um kind of a uh, giving the right amount of instruction instead of the full picture I mean, full pictures need to be given but the, the finding a right amount of instructions uh, is uh, is necessary. So I am maybe no longer uh, I mean not so much different from the the any other the people who are listening to this podcast. I'm still learning, but uh, just trying to uh, do the basic things. Yeah, to continuous improvement. Okay. 
Well, yeah, I, th I think that's, uh, you know, you've acknowledged that it's uh, always a work in progress um, in, in that sense from, from lifelong learning. So mm -hmm. that's, uh, you know, perhaps the, the kind of the, the, the big picture on a more granular level, literally mm -hmm. on a day to day basis, like the start of the day. How, how do you make sure that, you know, you probably have more than you can ever get done, right? It's probably, you know, you have some 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 huge um, long-term uh, projects and, and a huge abundance of minor uh, things that are also trying to grab your attention. What, what, what is your, your, your secret technique or your personal strategy for, for managing and balancing those kind of things? Sure. So uh, the morning time is most essential, often cases, like the, uh, in the afternoon, uh, things are getting out of our control. The kind of sudden incoming inquiry from the client, etc. So uh, it is uh, always difficult to manage time in the afternoon. So I'm trying to get things done as much as possible in the morning time, especially before 9 a.m. Um, so uh, whenever there's a things I need to delegate or the sending emails or the client find things reporting, I try to get things done uh, before the 9 a.m. in the morning so that I have before a, 9 a.m. Okay, yeah, before really, 9 really before yeah. core working hours. Yes, a little before okay. the core working hours. After that, uh, things always get messy. So, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, and I do not want to be the blockage or the bottleneck. Uh, for those decision makers, like uh, the beauty for this startup is the, the seamless communication and the decision making uh, throughout the, the continuous discussion within the organization. And, and I'm in a position, and someone like me is uh, becomes a very good position to be a bottleneck of the not making decision. Um, there are the many different arguments about the decision making. Some said mm -hmm. they need to make a the, perfect decision-making or the best decision-making. And some said the, that there's no bad decision-making, uh, I'm sorry, no wrong decision-making, but there is a bad decision-making, which is the, the pended decisions. So I try to avoid the, the later one um, as much as possible. Uh, we all learn from the trial and error, uh, which is the same for me and my team members too. So uh, yeah, so uh, get things done before 9 a.m. I'm sending every email, the messages. That is my kind of uh, daily habits. Got it. Got it. Okay. And and tell us a little bit about the the management structure that you're currently in, in terms of how many people that you're managing and and uh, and their. Uh, their, their, their backgrounds. Um, I, I'm, I'm just a bit, I'm curious about the cross-cultural yeah. leadership element of that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're kind of unique. So the, the management organization that I'm, I'm engaging right now is I'm a board of director for our craft technologies. So we have a two member from craft and two member from the soap bank which is public information so i think i can tell <laughs> so um so is a, there is a cross-cultural the segment in the board members and then the the leadership team is the uh, instead of our company is the we have a headquarter in south korea uh and hong kong is a subsidiary but how we work is the working like a weaving every decision making at the same time so working is one form no hierarchy headquarter the subsidiary but we make most of actually decision making is also decided by the Hong Kong side as well. So the, we have a total around uh, 85 plus of people in our the entire organization. The, more than majority of them are located in South Korea, uh, which is our headquarter at the same time tech center. And the Hong Kong, we have a team of seven right now, but Hong Kong is uh, much more engaging the business development uh, element part of it. So the, we are interconnected with our headquarter so the, in terms of numbers, then directly report to me is around maybe 10-ish uh, indirect reports, around 30-ish plus. Um, so, and yes, everyone has different backgrounds. Some are very, the, the native from South Korea, and we have uh, the American who are staying in South Korea as well. We have a Hong Kong, have a team from Taiwan, 
and local Hong Kong and from Shanghai and someone like me, uh, Korean working in Hong Kong as well. So mm-hmm. it's a very, very uh, diverse organization. So uh, usually in communication uh, becomes the, the big issue. So uh, there's no best way to mitigating any communication issue. But what I'm trying to continue doing is the, the sharing necessary information or even more than necessary information within the organization with the team members as clear and as transparent as possible so that everyone can at least have some good sense of what's going on. So uh, without having a the, the clear and transparent communication, I do not think that uh, multi-country cross-cultural organization will be able to deliver. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I'm curious though, you know, when you were say, 20 25 maybe 30 and everyone knows everyone everyone gets to see people know what everybody's doing it's easy to to avoid hierarchy right then you've grown to 85 you said has has that has that no often that will immediately present specific challenges around necessary structure but then very carefully trying to avoid hierarchy and silos. So is that something that you've very kind of proactively tried to avoid over the course of the growth? Uh, yes, I cannot agree more, um, especially the part that the, the team of 2025 versus team of 80 plus is totally different. The communication is uh, no longer the same level of the transparency of the sharing. So, uh, and my own, um, the experience is the if I'm directly managing over four to five, and it's different, difficult. It's, it's already a, there is a the uh, loss of the communication, or sometimes it could be the, the friction is happening uh, in the the way of the communication. Uh, but in the meantime, like the I want to to keep the relative uh, advantage of being the startup, which is the, the fast decision-making process by communication as much as possible. So uh, we are in the transition period from just a startup to the corporate. So um, the, it could be same case for the other company as well, but where we are um, as organization is uh, trying to um, do spend a lot of time is the, the finding right people uh, in the, the the middle manager or just manager. Uh, the low is are tremendously important as we grow the business. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are in the kind of hybrid moment at this, at this juncture. Uh, but I do envision that as time goes by, or if you have uh, more than 100 people plus, then uh, there is definitely the moment that we cannot avoid adopting the, the HL or the decision-making system that used by the big organizations. You're right, right, right. There's, there is just a certain scale where it, it needs to be you know, very carefully process mapped and as mm. you know, automated as much as possible in order to keep that same level of, uh, of service or, or at least you know, internal um, policy uh, across the organization, but it's great that, that you're already aware of that. And then I want to ask them the counter question. So have you had a time when you've uh, come up, up against something unexpected or, or something has kind of broken or gone wrong? And and then what was what was the thing? What was your way, um, your method to try to resolve that or, or get back on plan? Right. Um, there are, the, I think, many uh, experiences or the examples okay. that we're facing. It could be same for the other companies as well. But um, so my um, my style of the handling of thing is the uh, letter disclosing as soon as possible. Once I notice that there's a trouble is happening, so that uh, even though that will the kind of uh, directly the either ruin my internal reputation or the credit, but it's always good to, to share in advance so that the, I mean, the summons failure or the summons mistake is uh, 
as it as the company goes, it's no longer just stay as the that that person's uh, issues. It will be a the organization's issue in terms of reputations or the uh, business continuity or the relationship uh, with client in holistic perspective. So, want to uh, encouraging our team members. Um, so I, I never say things bad uh, to my colleague or my my team members when they come up with some issue. Uh, I never do that because uh, if I'm taking that stance, then they will have a higher incentive to hiding, and then I will only get to know in the last minute, which is the too late to fixing. So. Uh, um, so um, that is the, the what I'm believing. So it's good to have a right culture uh, of the company. So embracing the the risk of the trial and error. But whenever there's a things happen, then uh, we open um, to uh, to the necessary teams, and then have a leveraging the a um, everyone's uh, the idea to solve it uh, as soon as possible. So yeah. Got it. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's that's a key point um, for whatever the the size of the organisation to to get make sure you're getting the uh, the information and the status or uh, the, at least the the problem as as early on uh, as possible. And there's that there's that great uh, TV show called Undercover CEO. Where I don't know if you've oh, seen yeah. it. Yeah, uh, I saw it. Yeah. where you know and that that is always so informative because the ceo who is usually at, at that point so far removed from the front line from the customer service from the client facing uh environment sees things instantly that that yes. are just totally wrong or 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 not not uh optimized suboptimal and then they can do that and i think that I, you know, it seems to be that that those CEOs of organizations who do that kind of change their their path from from that moment on. They 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 somehow take away that they will never be so far removed from the front line again, in sure. order to make sure that those communication communication channels um, remain remain open. Um, it, so it sounds to me like you have uh, already developed quite a um, a, a, a high level of self-awareness when, when it comes to leadership. Um, how would you define your own personal leadership style? You said you have about 10 direct reports. Uh, I, I'm guessing that's that's probably the largest number you've had in, in your career so far. Um, yep. How would you define your, your own personal leadership style? Uh, yes, so that is a kind of a, one of my biggest challenge right now is because the Ubuntu to Vanguard, um, the, 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 the biggest team I had, I mean, that was a kind of a, the 15 years of my career, um, the, up to that level, the biggest team I had was a team of two, including myself. So it's very dramatical changing after joining this company. So uh, I'm still learning about the world of the best uh, to do that, but um, when I taking the MBA classes in Hong Kong universities, uh, I still remember um, the leadership classes. The, the professor mentioned that there is a no right or wrong leadership. There are just different types of leadership. So my leadership is all uh, uh, instead of the I'm changing all the time, but instead of too bossy um, to my team members, but at the same time trying to be there. Um, how can I say? the equal level of the, um, the participation. I'm not okay. just the what will be the right way to discussing, but I, I just want to, um, the, the giving um, a lot of different empowerment uh, to my team, but at the same time, be in the same page with them um, so that uh, the reason for that is the every organization is unique, but for our case is the our AI engineers, researchers, and teams are the great. They are the, the brilliant, smart, but at the same time have a less experience in the financial industry. Kind of everyone is young, so uh, so some of the some some soft, very the the, the subtle nuance uh, from our clients, 
and I have to be translating for them. So, so not to make them the wasting their time, etc. So, I am okay. Then in that cases, I can I define my readership as a very engaging type of readership with my team. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I, I I get a sense of that um, from from having talked to you that that there there isn't. Uh, uh, a sense of status uh, that, that, or in, you know, entitlement that that you have. So um, I, I, that definitely comes across uh, in that. Um, you mentioned uh, in, in at the start that up until a certain point, you were only using your Korean name Kizok. Uh, oh yes. And then you you took on an English name Francis. It, Right. Was was tell me a little bit about what what made you decide uh, to to uh, take on an an English name uh, at that point? Mm. Because I think in Korea a lot of uh, kids when they when they have their first English class they get uh -huh. almost assigned a name. They don't really get much choice and they just go with it, uh, and they either keep it or they don't. Uh, people who are that. a little bit more religious they right. often when they get baptized they'll take on a specific kind of saint's name or, or other specific christian sure. name um sure. and then there are people who um conveniently have a name that where they can just take their two syllables of their first names like a yeah. you know a, a js a jy yes. kp yes. whatever and and that's right. in a quite a nice way yeah. how, how about yourself um yes <laughs> i'm not so sure okay the full transparency you <laughs> see the very candidly I am in the more like a person that I mean. Why should I make English name? Like the, okay. But everyone has their own name. Like the, the American, British, their own using their own name. The yep. someone from the Eastern Europe, they have their own name. Yeah. Um, not not choosing the English like a name. No, Indian same. The Japanese as well. That why Korean? I should make my the English name. I mean, they, totally. I remember their name. They should remember my Korean name as well. That is my status. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm kind of a, that, that kind of person appointed to the Vanguard. But the after that, um, the joining this company, um, the company comes first, then my own belief uh, for this case is, is because uh, we are the AI company, startup company, and then the, uh, the looted from South Korea is uh, it's definitely not this advantage. But at the same time, the, the most of our clients and business cases we work together with the uh, overseas so client, institutional, international client. So, and it's kind of a company's not written policy, but kind of practices. Everyone mm -hmm. has English name. So, uh, okay, uh, then I should make one. And the Francis coming from my Catholic, the baptismal name of a Francisco. Okay. So, that, that's the, the long story in the short version. I see. Yeah. No. No. Um... And and would you say now that uh, so on a daily basis are you I, I guess you're using Korean and English, what right. what's the split of your daily business language? Ah, uh, it's so ironically shall. Yes, very ironic, ironically, um, the the craft technologies, the Korean looted fintech com is the form that I use English most, so around 80% of time of my day, I'm using English. So okay. to someone who know me in the, yeah. knew me in the, in my previous film, like a Vanguard or the, the one before, they always surprised that, oh, Kisok, how come your English get better? I think no secret, but I'm just using it on pretty much a day-to-day -day basis. So, right, right. Uh, yeah, so yeah, English is my main medium of the communication right now. Okay. And 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 then it's absolutely going to be going to be Francis. But when you're speaking Korean, yes, I, you know, usually in a Korean company there aren't names. It's usually uh, often it's a title plus a name um, oh, yeah. to to show that that <clears throat> uh, that kind of respect. And companies, yeah. of course, are now juggling. Uh, um, new ways of trying to, you know, take an English name but still have mean uh, to be to be polite, or or, yes. or trying yes. to get rid of titles, but then no one's really sure like how how to yeah. do that. So how, how is it for you uh, with your Korean colleagues? Um, we have a um, very straightforward um, internal policy for that or culture. Uh, I can say is the 
for the English communication, whenever it's across um, the, um, the our the organization in Hong Kong or the, um, the Korea, uh, mm -hmm. we're just using the English name. No need to put the name in there. Um, I don't like that as well. <laughs> and uh, so it's very straightforward. Um, I like it. Um, for the, the when I'm writing the email or communicate in Korean then the, yes we our organization also we take out all the titles so okay. like uh, my korean name kisok kisok nim that's that's all and i'm doing okay. the same thing for my my subordinate and my team members as well so okay uh, um, so no of, titles yeah. yes no titles taking the, the the given name with with nim for for politeness yeah yes. yeah no it was something that i you know, as a as a British person, previously working in a large Korean company, and of course I had juniors, and mm. I saw other seniors using, um, uh, you know, informal speech, panmal uh, mm. to them, and yeah, yeah. I, I felt, uh, I, you know, and it, and it's it's not just as simple as someone. Uh, being uh, being higher than them and therefore using that there is also a proximity and a closeness in the relationship that can develop which allows you to then use that informal exactly. which further kind of complicates yeah. it so but but for me i i just found uh it, you know let's just let's just level the playing field and let's use um you know formal speech style to everybody um whether they are uh, you know, uh, senior, junior, or, or uh, same level. Um, that that was the way uh, that I found kind of worked worked work best for I, me. I fully agree, and I am the person that the believing the, the whatever we're saying has its own power of the influence. Um, so uh, it is definitely will be reflected of the uh, how we communicate with our team members. Um, the panmai is a is a is can be definitely the showing in the um, proximity of the how close they are in the personal relationship but as we are working in the, uh, the company so uh, maybe some separation of the personal relationship in the work relationship maybe needed I don't know that's my own view but yeah I'm, 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 I'm your side Gordon yeah, although I must add another funny uh, story, which was uh, recently with the Korean Lunar New Year, um, I was yeah. meeting a lot of my Korean relatives on my wife's side, and there's one much younger cousin. And my wife said, mm. oh, why aren't you speaking uh, informal um, speech style to him? Uh, because he's, ah. he's so much younger than you. And his, his answer yeah. was, oh, we didn't have we didn't have drinking together yet. And because we yes. haven't had drinking <laughs> together yet, right? Right. I mean, in in the Korean yeah. context, it makes sense. We haven't had drinking together. We hadn't we hadn't developed that that kind of personal um, relationship oh. enough. Um, and and so right. uh, and I and I kind of agree. I I didn't feel close yeah. enough to him to yeah. to use that because. Uh, oh. So yeah, that was that was uh, that was an interesting one for me. I want to flip it over to you, uh, Francis, sure. and ask you uh what's what's the most challenging thing about uh you uh, living and working in in hong kong um, as a non as a non-local <laughs> sure um working abroad uh is, is difficult especially in the early stages like you have to get used to for the new culture new system like everything is different you know right gordon like the even the the way we're paying the, the phone bill or the electricity bill is different. Like, even that is different. So uh, usually like a three to six months of time, you have to get yourself to accustomed to the, the different practices and procedure of the the living on your side. Um, uh, for that perspective, Hong Kong was uh, very honestly, was uh, quite straightforward because the Hong Kong is a city that been kind of a lots of influence by the old expats. So as a non-Hong Kong people, not so much difficult. Uh, you still have the difficulties of the, the ordering the food in the local local restaurant. If you cannot speak Cantonese, you may find difficulties, but that is a, let's put that aside. But uh, for the working culture wise, it's uh, much more westernized and transparent. So it was okay. Um, the, the, but when I look at my other friends or the, the, the brothers uh, in the industry and then 
sometimes they found is the um, um, how can I say the in their personal relationship because the pool is small like really whenever they having the boyfriend girlfriend sometimes difficult to find and uh, getting married is a different another story uh, so that is a kind of things that, that some people decide to go back to Korea finding there the 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 other half for their life uh, and but, but what I want to say or the, the, the sharing my own experience is the it's definitely painful uh, in the early stages but once you get used to it then it will definitely expanding your kind of uh, the, the field of the thought mm. uh, of the uh, not just I mean, many people only know about the, what things going on in South Korea uh, but if you start to living abroad, then you are actually able to kind of uh, double up your right. the, the the ideas and thinking. So right, right. You it's like an expansion of what you're comfortable with, which is right. a sense of like an adaptability. Sure. But fourteen years is a long time. I know because that's exactly how long I've been uh, living in Korea. Yeah. If you, uh, I, I don't know how often you, you do come back to, to Korea, but do you find yourself increasingly detached from uh, current Korea, current status Korea and how life is here? And, and as it's evolved and changed, uh, do you find yourself increasingly being a tourist in your own home country? I, I do. I do. I do. Um, and uh, the, the biggest moment that I felt that way was the uh, after COVID-19. So COVID-19 was a period of uh, pretty much two years plus of the lockdown. I mean, not literally lockdown, but it's very difficult to fly into other country, right? So I remember the my first business trip to Korea in this company craft was the kind of, uh, was the, the first time in last two years. So I will see a lot of things has been changed yet. And then I find myself feel alien or the foreigner uh, in South Korea. And even like I started looking at the Kakao Taxi, I don't have that app because of my Kakao is linked to the Hong Kong number. So I cannot <laughs> link to the Kakao Taxi app. Oh my God, what should I do? And no one is a kind of, uh, there's no taxi in the street. So <laughs> things are, yes, I, I do feel, maybe you, you feel the similar or the opposite way of uh, what I'm feeling, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but luckily Hong Kong and Korea are not too far in terms of the, the flight hour. So I'm, able to have a good chance to continuously recalibrating myself right back to, yeah right yeah yeah that's interesting um, and and okay. in the get stuff done podcast we 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 very much like to talk about transferable skills the sure. things which people can develop which are not particular to one job but they are by their own uh, the very nature transferable this you know right. um the things which you can develop uh, both consciously and I guess also subconsciously and things which people can be um, perhaps the the more you are aware of them the better you can utilize them it's almost like knowing your strengths and weaknesses for yeah. you what would you say uh, is is the most important transferable skill that that people should develop um I let her say the maybe two things the one okay. is the which is interconnected uh, the first one is a strategic thinking, strategic thinking about the thinking. I mean, not just thinking about strategy itself, but like a thinking couple of steps ahead, like okay. continuously assessing if I'm doing this, what will be the coming next? And then what will be the, the other response I'm expecting? Kind of a little bit of game theory type of the strategic thinking is always a help you to navigating the scenarios and then able to help you to be ready uh, for any type of the uh, communication. And linked to, to this is the, um, this is something I'm start to realizing um, notably important in everyone's day-to-day -day life is the, the, the skill set of the making a good summary. Like it could be meeting summary, it could be a the kind of verbal discussion summary, or the, it could be summary of the, the current situation or whatsoever. Uh, because everyone has a little and less and less time of the okay. understanding what's going on in the in the their, their work or the market, etc. So 
it is definitely a skill and ability you can train yourself to summarize in a very concise way of the analyzing what are the, the core elements of the what we are seeing in the market or the situation it will be a extremely helpful if you can have a chance to uh, take a bigger role um, and i believe yeah that is two skill set i want to to share I, I, that's that's really interesting because I think what you've identified there is something that maybe when we when we look at um, world-renowned people who are incredibly accomplished in their field, these mm. are the ones who have that skill in abundance, and it's very it's very evident. And I guess mm. you're talking importantly not about the ability to use ChatGPT or, or AI to do that summarizing, but you're talking about uh, gating information and the kind of the synthesis and as you said summarizing of it in order to right. turn it into to valuable uh, uh a valuable use so i think yeah that that is a really really important skill and i guess when you add the foreign language element into it if you're if you're getting information in in your non-native language or, or a language you're not so familiar and then have to uh summarize it and translate it then that's that's adding another element to it which is of course necessary so thank you so much for for sharing um those thank those you. two key skills with that uh unfortunately francis we are pretty much out of time for today so uh thank you so much uh for for all uh your answers and and insights and sharing your experiences uh, with us today um mm. and i hope we can uh, continue the conversation more than happy to it was my pleasure and honor to join today's podcast thank you gordon and thank you also to everybody for joining the the podcast and listening into this episode we do continue to bring you the best uh, guests we possibly can every week. And I hope that if you haven't yet subscribed, uh, you'll do, do me the honor and click that subscribe button so that you can stay with us um, for the future episodes. Once again, thanks very much for being with us and hope to see you again soon in another episode. Let's get stuff done. Thank you for listening to the Get Stuff Done podcast. If you would like to be a guest in the future, please do reach out. Or if you would like to recommend someone, that would be awesome as well. Make sure you keep listening as we will be bringing you fresh insights every week because getting stuff done is something everyone needs.